0: Well, good day, and welcome back to another edition of Irreligiosophy, and uh, actually, I'm really looking forward to this week. We are continuing with Pagan Precursors, and uh, for those of you who have been following on the website, we've kind of pushed it off because Charlie is a lazy bastard and needs extra time to do some research.
1: That is absolutely true. It's not that I'm busy or anything, I'm just goddamn lazy.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, we all know how lazy you are. I mean, we can take a look at your picture and just see how fat and lazy you are. I wasn't aware. You could see how fat I was from that picture. Have you seen the jowls coming off of you? But thank you for pointing that out. Well, you know, uh, I'll work some of that off when mountain biking season comes. God, you're a dick. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, you're the one that keeps me around.
1: All right, so uh, this actually is very (laughs) fascinating. Um, This goes to last week or the week before... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Since we skipped last week. Uh, we went over kind of the Old Testament pagan precursors. Well, it turns out there's even more in the New Testament.
0: Now, see, that's something that fascinates me, because you would think that by the time they get to the New Testament that they would have a well-developed enough religion where they wouldn't have to steal from other people like they did in the Old Testament, but obviously I may be wrong in this.
1: I think you're wrong, because some of the most interesting doctrines don't come directly from christianity they come from uh... the pagan religions which by the way had thousands of years to develop their uh, sophisticated doctrines and theology and i can't blame them because they, they are interesting they just well, swiped them wholesale
0: now wait a minute here god's religion has been around since the beginning of time it's the pagans who stole from uh... christianity or judaism whatever way you want to look at i, I don't care what you say you're wrong <laughs> you're right Um
1: god created the earth uh... six thousand years ago um, had the flood i guess in the middle of um
0: nope, nope. no nope. we can't talk about creation or flood we've already proven that was stolen so
1: all right uh... should we start i believe so hit me all right um, What we're going to talk about mostly are, are the so-called mystery religions um, these religions centered on uh, a god who um, typically took the human form or mortal guise, um, and descended down from heaven and walked amongst mortals uh, and and uh, did some nice things for them. And and <laughs> they <laughs> they had these mystery religions and and typically it had to do with you know um, eternal life or you know securing yourself some sort of benefit in the afterlife or sometimes just teaching geometric principles. They were encoded. Um, Interestingly enough most of the cultures had a mystery religion these were um, amazingly popular uh, sometimes they got so popular they became the state religion other times they were persecuted just like Christianity
0: uh, no 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 only Christianity can be persecuted because it's right because only the truth is persecuted right exactly don't care about lies
1: in Egypt uh, we've already talked about this The the mystery religion typically was Osiris and this was the first one uh, Osiris uh, was dismembered by, by his brother, Set, uh, and put back together by his wife or consort,
0: Isis. Except for the phallus, which you and I have both decided where that went.
1: The, well, She made something out of
0: uh, clay? I, I could have sworn it was wood. Yeah. That's just me, <laughs> which I think is where we get the term woody from, because, yeah. you know, Osiris is a god. He had a woody. Wood would make more sense.
1: <laughs> so she made the phallus cuz she couldn't find it. I don't know what, what set did with the phallus, but that she um, cast a magic spell and uh, and resurrected him. So he died and came back to life. And you can see where this comes from, right? He was a god of grain and so, you know, in the winter time the grain dies and in the springtime it comes back to life.
0: That um, makes perfect sense to me.
1: Right. And this 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 stuff uh, uh started with Osiris and it was imported probably by Pythagoras, who lived in the 6th century BCE and spent something like 10 to 20 years studying uh, Egyptian mathematics and geometry. Uh, Obviously, during that time, he would have been exposed to the day of Osiris uh, with this mystery religion. Um, He probably went back to – this is all speculation on on my part. Um, And most of this actually derives from a book called The Jesus Mysteries, Uh, Was the original Jesus a pagan god, is a subtitle, by Timothy Freak and and, uh, Peter Gandy. Anyway, Pythagoras probably came back to Greece, brought these things back to it, and and grabbed a Greek god uh, and uh, kind of um, put that story of Osiris onto their own god. And like I said, this comes from many, many different cultures did this. In Asia Minor, it was Attis. Uh, In Greece, it was Dionysus. In Syria, it was Adonis. In Italy, it was Bacchus, who was almost directly swiped from Greece, the the Dionysus. (laughs) And in Persia, it was Mithras.
0: Well, you know, it makes complete sense to me why Pythagoras would do this, because, I mean, the Greeks had an absolute fascination with Egypt. So although he was down there just studying their mathematics, I have no doubt he was just awed by the culture in and of itself. I mean, anybody who walked into Greece, or excuse me, into Egypt during that time would have just been astonished by all of these creations that the uh, the Egyptians put together.
1: Sure. At that time, you know, you had Minoan Crete and then Greece. Um, so the civilization, you know, the, the epic of um, the Iliad theoretically took place around 1100. Homer wrote it down maybe in the 700s uh so so Greece as a civilization is probably 500 uh maybe maybe 700 years old um Egypt at this time already several thousand years old as a civilization
0: yeah i mean just i mean at, at this point in Egypt they already had the first archaeologist who was going around and naming the the uh the pyramids and the different funeral uh, rites things like that because they were so old that they were forgetting who the old Egyptian kings and pharaohs were.
1: Right. The, the pyramids are 1,000, are um, maybe 1,500 years, possibly 2,000 years old at this time. Yeah. Anyway, let's go over the, the comparisons between Dionysus, uh, for example, and uh, Jesus. See if you can see any similarities. I seriously doubt I will. Jesus is the one and only God. <laughs> Keep in mind that Dionysus preceded Jesus by uh, at least 600 years, probably more like a 1,000.
0: All right. Completely swiped, I'm sure.
1: Dionysus is uh, God-made flesh, the Savior and uh, Son of God. His father is God, and his mother is a mortal virgin. In this case, uh, his father was Zeus, and his mother was, I think, Samil, um, struck by a bolt of lightning impregnating her. <laughs> <laughs> Now that that's is a, the way to do it. That's a cooler story, I think than a little dove descending on mary
0: well that that dove may have been hung. Let's not <laughs> let's not put down the dove.'s that's
1: entirely possible. <laughs> he is born in a cave or humble cowshed on december twenty fifth before three shepherds. He offers his followers a chance to be born again through uh, the rites of baptism. He turns water into wine at a marriage ceremony. He rides triumphantly into town on a donkey while people wave palm leaves at him. He dies at Easter time uh, as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. After his death, he descends to hell and uh, rises from the dead on the third day and ascends to heaven in glory. His followers await his return as a judge during the last days. And his death and resurrection are celebrated by a ritual meal of bread and wine, which symbolizes body and blood. So uh, in that whole thing, do you see any similarities?
0: Uh, the one question I have is, does Dionysus have a song called "Little Drummer Boy"? Pa pom pom pom. Because I, I mean, I would expect if there were shepherds there, there was a little drummer boy.
1: I think there was a, a song called "Dionysus Wants Me for a Sunbeam," but I'm not sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I, briefly, and so I'm getting these facts out of out of this uh, Jesus mysteries and. I'm not sure their background, whether they're huge uh, scholars of this time or not, but I, I did see some inaccuracies, and I'll, I'll try to point them out uh, when I see them. One, for example, he dies at Easter time as a sacrifice sins of the world. I'm not exactly sure that's accurate, because Greeks, uh, when Paul came and he was spreading Christianity, didn't really have a term for the word sin. He had to make one up. Uh, he took the word uh, hamartia, which in Greek means... It's an archery term, missing the target, missing the mark. Um, so he describes sin as, you know, there's this level of perfection that God expects, and you fall short of that level of
0: perfection, and that is sin. Well, it, it's well that would make sense to the Greeks, because, well, they weren't really archers, uh, many of them, actually. So, huh, fascinating, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, you know, there wasn't a Greek term for sin. So I think they're either these authors are reading it into... Um, this time period uh or uh they they're misleading us in attempt to I got the idea that they're more like prosecuting attorneys trying a case than uh scholars who would give you kind of all sides of the issue so I had to be careful and do that's mostly what I did um, I was doing corroborating research making sure that I was giving you the most accurate story possible
0: and that's too bad i mean uh, when when you have someone who writes a book like this there's really no reason to gloss it over i mean there's there's so many precursors To Christianity, you really don't have to make anything up. Right. Um, I got
1: the idea that they were kind of shoehorning some of these stuff in uh, and trying to to fit this stuff in uh, to their preconceived ideas. So I just took the best and the most well documented ones and I left a bunch of them out. If you're interested in the book, you know, it's a good book. Just read it with a skeptical eye. All right. Um, The Eleusinian mysteries uh, were performed. Uh, for thousands of years, probably at least eleven centuries, uh, if not more, uh, the, the sanctuary was destroyed by Christian monks in 396 of uh, the Common Era. But before that, shoot, they had as many as thirty thousand Athenian uh, citizens uh, would attend these mysteries, and they were about um, Eleusis. By the way, is a small town near Athens, and it was a site uh, was a sanctuary to um, Demeter and Persephone. Uh the story about them is <laughs> another grain reference. Um huh. Demeter was uh Zeus's first wife and, and he had a child Persephone by her and in ancient Greek times uh the <laughs> they they weren't all about women's rights. Um
0: not really, the, no.
1: The marriage was arranged between two men, the father of the bride to be and uh somebody else. And it was a contractual arrangement uh, and you know they, there was no legal obligation to inform the woman at all that uh, you know hey by the way you're married. <laughs> would uh, you love to do that to your daughter today? Oh by the way yeah. you're you're going with him. I don't think that'd uh, pass muster. Um, so what happened was Zeus and Hades struck an <laughs> agreement, and uh, what happened you know you'd you'd have this agreement, and then the the daughter would move away from the father's home into the husband's home and spend the rest of her life inside the house. They, they pretty much couldn't go outside. So what happened was Zeus and Hades struck an agreement, and he gave Persephone to uh, Hades to live in the Greek version of Hell, which is Tartaros. And uh, this really pissed Demeter off, uh, the mother. Uh, she threatened to not grow any grain, uh, and Zeus realized this would kill off the humans. Now... Zeus didn't really care about humans. Uh, what he did care about was the humans giving them sacrifice. Uh, so he would lose honor if the humans died. <laughs> that he that's
0: about. actually something we have to cover here because, uh, I mean, most people don't know how the Greeks actually looked on honor. I mean, honor to us is a real abstract concept. But honor to the Greeks it is a little bit different. It's actually under the term time, spelled like time, but time. And Basically, you cannot have honor without taking it away from somebody else. Uh, I mean, Charlie and I have had many discussions about this, uh, especially consider, er, concerning Achilles and Agamem- Agamemnon. I can never say his name right. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but, I mean, when the reason why Achilles got so angry after storming the beach about Agamemnon taking that uh, woman from him is because that woman was taken for, or for Achilles, that was honor. What honor is, is its possessions. And so when Agamemnon took her, that was taking Achilles' honor or his uh, his possessions from him.
1: Right. Um, the time or, or kleos, which is glory, for the Greeks was a zero-sum game. If you gained honor, it, you did it by taking it away from someone else. If you lost honor, it went to someone else. In our culture... Um, we, you know, oh, this person's honorable, and it is this abstract concept. He's just a, a good guy, or he's done a lot of, of glorious deeds or whatever. In, in ancient Greece, not true. This is, uh, you You go and you sack a town, and you bring glory back uh, in the terms of uh, what you have stolen. And in this case, war booty, and that includes women, which were essentially property in ancient Greece, especially during the uh, time of the Iliad. Um, so uh, he was very angry that he was, uh, uh, himself, Achilles and, and his warriors, uh, were responsible essentially for storming the beach, and he got this honor for himself, and Agamemnon took it away from him. It was a total insult, total slight to him.
0: And, and oh, very much so. Now, actually, you brought up kleos, and that, that, is, uh, that is something that fascinates me about the Greeks. And In all honesty, I think the Greeks had it absolutely right where religion is concerned, and, and what kleos is is the Greeks didn't really believe in a good afterlife. Basically, when you died, your soul would go away, and you would basically become like a zombie. Your mind would be gone from you, and you wouldn't really have any any thoughts or, or a mind of your own unless somebody sacrificed and gave you the blood to drink. What Kleos is, is actually uh, was a decision that Achilles had to make. Now, Achilles, when he went and asked his, uh, his godmother... Uh, whether or not he should go she gave him two choices he could either remain behind get married have a family and live a long and fruitful life or he could go and his kleos would live on forever that's that's how the greeks looked on immortality is if you made a name for yourself and that name would pass on forever that was how you reached immortality it's interesting the
1: greeks have an idea of the afterlife that is uh, a polar opposite of ours uh, in Christian religions, um, or, or the main Judeo-Christian, um, you know, Judaism, Islam, and, and Christianity, the afterlife uh, is something to be sought after. It's a paradise. Desired. Yeah. It's wonderful. In uh, Greek religion, the afterlife kind of sucks. You're just wandering around. Uh, you're in Hades. You have no brain. Unless, uh, you know, Odysseus comes over and gives you a cup of blood, and then you kind of come back to life for a little while. For just a short time, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh uh you know, when when he did that to Achilles, Achilles says, I would trade all of my honor and glory uh to just be alive uh for an hour, you know, one more time. Uh it is so amazing uh, to be alive. Um so their their idea of heaven really was, was their life. Um, which it, exactly by the way, wasn't very good. <laughs> You know, yeah. half the time um, their their children wouldn't make it to adulthood. You know, they they celebrated it every time they, that that happened. Their wives would die in childbirth. Um, then the perinatal mortality was horrible. Anyway, um, that was so. So that was the, the idea of the Greeks. And then this this um, mystery uh, religion w- was celebrated uh, at Eleusis, um, attended by massive amounts of people. And uh, I, we don't know what it was because you you have two things in these mystery religions. You have exoteric information, uh, which is okay to, to tell people who are not initiates, and there's esoteric information, um, which is uh, the stuff that you learn after you become initiated. And the exoteric, the outer mysteries, actually encode information that that, that is explained only later when you uh, learn the inner mysteries uh, as an initiate. So, we don't know exactly what happened, but I, um, we have sort of reports that there'd be this um, fast and they'd, they'd undergo ritual purification, often by bathing in water. Um, they would march along in a single line. Um, sometimes they'd be harassed by initiates, um, you know, as, as kind of, again, a purification process. They would arrive at a great hall. Um, they, scholars think that perhaps there's a, a big gong. And uh, the the play would be acted out, and you would learn the mysteries by virtue of that play. Um, it's possible that gases were involved, or certainly with the mysteries of Dionysus, you would have strong wine, um, which they believed, you know, was the essence of Dionysus himself, possessing the people and, and causing this um, stupor.
0: Which uh, once again makes sense uh, more so than the uh, Judeo-Christian and the Christian. Uh, type take on the sacrament I guess Christian Judeo Jews don't really take the the sacrament but it makes more sense to me to have a god of uh, or using wheat and something like that and when you're drinking of that you're taking it into you which gives you that euphoric feeling that makes sense to me right you can see why and and, and scholars also believe perhaps that these mystery
1: religions uh, were the first things, uh, they're the precursors to dramas, they're precursors to plays. This is where you got the idea that you could have a play in front of an audience. Anyway, uh, the ancients regarded these mysteries as ways to impart truths to the lay people without actually lecturing them, so each of them would receive according to their own wisdom uh, or place in life. So, you know, even the the most dull person would be uh, entertained, (laughs) but the brightest would be drawn into these mysteries. The philosophers would would seek out, um, what do these mysteries mean? I need to know. Um, You're driven to know
0: uh, what truths are encoded by these outer myths. You know, that actually would make sense nowadays. I would like to see more churches putting on plays, because that would interest me more than sitting down listening to someone read from the Bible and putting me to sleep.
1: Right. And think how uh, similar that idea is to Jesus' teaching in parables. Exactly. He uh, often said, uh, you know, I'm going to teach this parable. He who has ears, let him hear. Um, If you're stupid or not uh, in tune with the Spirit, I guess, you will just hear the parable and learn maybe a little moral lesson. If you're uh, following Jesus along and, and you understand this stuff, you'll get the deeper truths it's exactly the same as the exoteric and
0: esoteric mysteries of the mystery religions and so let's see uh, uh, the Greeks liked the Egyptians the Romans liked the Greeks I wonder where this concept may have come from
1: right <laughs> there's a straight line from Egypt all the way to to Jesus um, now Herodotus came about he visited Egypt about a century after Pythagoras did And uh, he, in his writings, noted the same procession in Egypt um, that Pythagoras probably saw. It was uh, the Festival of Osiris. It was attended by thousands of people. It represented his death and resurrection. We actually have pyramid texts detailing the story that are 4,500 years old. That predates Christ by 2,500 years. Jeez. The dying and resurrection of Osiris was represented by the symbolic death of the initiate and his rebirth into the knowledge of the mysteries, and, and, and then he'd have a oneness with the divine essence. So they, like Osiris, became God-made flesh because they'd have this divine essence inside of them. Um, they, they'd become a God-like essence trapped inside of a, a mortal body. Now, okay. so th- this seems very... That is actually more similar to the Gnostic religion than it is to mainstream Christianity, but all these um, similarities were... Uh, they did not go unnoticed, both by pagan critics like Celsus, whose um, writings, fortunately, uh, are preserved partially... In a response to it called Contra Celsus, where he would take large paragraphs of Celsus's writings that were floating around criticizing Christianity, and then this church father would rebut them. So he'd have a paragraph of, of Celsus, and then he'd, you know, a couple paragraphs rebutting it. If you know, we didn't have that, we would have lost all of Celsus's writings.
0: And see, that's the funny thing, because even back then, you had these pagans looking at the Christians going, now wait a minute here, you're stealing way too much from our religions. How can you say that your religion is right? right. And, I mean, and I mean this... Oh, go ahead.
1: They were very aware, and it was a real sticking point to them, and they were deeply disturbed by the similarities between uh, Christianity, this new religion, and paganism, this, this ancient, sophisticated religion. And remember that in the ancient times... Old equated with good. If it were old, then it had stood the test of time. Uh, if it was new, you got to be skeptical about it.
0: And, you know, that actually brings up kind of, it, well, in my mind, the conversation we had with Becky Garrison, one of the first people we interviewed on this show. And it was kind of interesting because she made the comment that uh, one of the reasons why she believes in Christianity is it is because it has stood the test of time and didn't go the way of the Greeks. And afterwards, Charlie and I both kind of kicked ourselves because we were discussing it, and uh, it kind of dawned on us, well, wait a minute, the Greeks' religion didn't just fade away. It was the Christians who went out and made an active attempt to crush it. Right. It didn't wither on
1: the vine because of disbelief. It was actively hunted to extinction. And this by Christians who had made passionate pleas for tolerance and freedom of religion and, and the ability to worship who, where, and what they may. Uh, as soon as they got power, uh, you know, in the same century as Constantine became emperor, and, and uh, two emperors later, I believe, uh, the, um, Christianity became the state religion of Rome, Uh, Paganism was destroyed, thoroughly. Their temples were overturned, uh, burned to the ground, um, absolutely destroyed. Although paganism had tolerated Christianity with outbursts of localized uh, persecution here and there for the first four centuries, um, Christianity tolerated them for less than 50 years.
0: Well, maybe that's, a, maybe that's a plus in Christianity's side. I mean, yes, they were a new religion, only lasting for 400 years, but they gained enough uh, of a population to destroy all of the old religions. Maybe that's why it's true.
1: Yeah, so much for meek and mild and, and turn the other cheek and, you know, the meek will inherit the earth idea. Yeah. Anyway, um, the church, early church fathers, Justin Martyr, Tertullian, Irenaeus, they were all very aware of this, uh, these similarities. They all claimed that it was due to, quote, diabolical mimicry, right? (laughs) Satan anticipated that this stuff was going to happen, and he plagiarized it in advance.
0: Yeah, that makes complete sense. And that would make your grandma right. Uh, Is she a scholar, by the way? No. (laughs) Not by any means. And she came up with that concept out of imagination. I wonder where they got their concept from.
1: It's easy um, because Satan's your go-to guy. Um, you got a problem, you blame it on Satan. Um, there, there's something to solve; uh, it has to be Satan. Um, uh, you know, but it doesn't convince anyone other than people who already believe. So it's absolutely it has no force uh, whatsoever. It's it's a ridiculous argument. Um, you know, <laughs> Satan yeah. knew about this stuff. Other others claim that the myth. Um, and rites and rituals were like pre-echoes of Jesus, um, like pagan premonitions or, or prophecies. They, they'd gotten so close to God that they um, they came to these things by themselves, or God kind of gave it to them as much as he could, um, which is a little more positive spin than Satan, uh,
0: but still doesn't make any sense. No, no, it, it really doesn't, because you figure... If God is sitting up there, and someone is righteous enough to receive a small amount of the truth, why is it God isn't saying, well, you know, you're righteous enough, here's the whole truth? I guess I mean, if, if you're not part of the Jewish tribe, the chosen people, it's kind
1: of like these psychics where they're like, I'm uh, getting a B. Um, yeah. Someone, someone have anybody in their life with a, a B in their name? Anyone?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Uh, Butris? Okay, yes, you. <laughs> Got like a telegraph up there. Well let me read you a couple of these things. Um here's Justin Martyr from his first Apology, uh second century of the Common Era. Quote Having heard it proclaimed through the prophets that the Christ was to come, and that the ungodly men uh and that the ungodly among men were to be punished by fire, the wicked spirits put forward many to be called sons of God under the impression that they would be able to produce in men the idea that the things that were said with regard to Christ were merely marvelous tales, like the things that were
0: said by the poets. <laughs> quote. That's beautiful, isn't it? How about this yeah, from That's a lot of mental gymnastics going on there. Oh, yeah, definitely. Here's Tertullian. Uh,
1: the devil, whose business it is to pervert the truth, mimics the exact circumstances of the divine sacraments. He baptizes his believers and promises forgiveness of sins from the sacred fount, and thereby initiates them into the religion of Mithras. Thus he celebrates the oblation of bread and brings in the symbol of the resurrection. Let us therefore acknowledge the craftiness of the devil, who copies certain things of those that be divine. I love how he says, mimics the exact circumstances. (laughs) This isn't just kind of vague uh, similarities that people are picking out out of nowhere, the exact circumstances according to a church father.
0: Well, you know, what fascinates me is that right there is proof that they stole these concepts from Egypt. I mean, (laughs) they're obviously talking about these previous pagan religions that have been around for thousands of years, and they're putting them down? Yeah. They were a civilization while you guys were still out hunting goats. It never even occurs to them that Christianity
1: may be derived from the pagan religions. It's got to be Satan. All right, let's go kind of bit by bit about the Jesus mythos. How about uh, Born of a Virgin? Here's Justin Martyr again. Uh, Now, he's defending Christianity against the pagan accusations. In saying that the word was born for us without sexual union as Jesus Christ, our teacher, we introduce nothing beyond what is said of those called the sons of Zeus. Uh, That's in his apology as well. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so uh, basically uh <laughs> yes we do realize that this is taken from pagan religion yeah. and we make no apology quit picking on us we're the same as you guys uh, uh in
1: asia minor Addis's mother is the virgin sibyl uh in syria adonis's mother is the virgin myrrh and we'll get into that a little bit later in alexandria aeon's mother is the virgin cori in greece dionys's mother is the virgin samil all these people were born of a virgin uh, it was claimed that Pythagoras was the son of Apollo and a mortal woman called Parthenus, and in Greek, Parthenos means virgin. So probably Pythagoras was born of a virgin.
0: You know, all i got to tell you is there must be a lot of lightning bolts flying around at women back in those days. <laughs> Zeus was one horny bastard. <laughs> well, um, I, I guess he got off by shocking them. so, you know. Yeah. Uh,
1: as far as the son of God... Um, Apollonius of Tyana was regarded as the son of Zeus. Um, Julius Caesar was said to have been God-made manifest, the common savior of human life. This is right before Jesus. <laughs> uh, Augustus was the savior of the universal human race. Even Nero, crazy Nero, who's fiddling while Rome's burning, was hailed as God the Deliverer forever and ever. <laughs> I love Nero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, from Suetonius, he wrote, and this is clearly uh, is not true, but uh, he wrote it. Um, the signs that uh, among the signs that accompanied Augustus's birth, the Senate decreed a ban on rearing male Roman babies in the year of Augustus's birth because of a portent indicating that a king of Rome had been born. So they <laughs> slaughtered all the male babies uh, in Augustus's birth. Um, awesome.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of archaeological evidence of that. Oh, and by the way, I'm sure there's a lot of archaeological evidence about Jesus's time getting slaughtered with all them children. Yeah, you'd think someone other than the Christians would have noticed that, but, yeah. Uh, obviously not. I mean, a complete slaughter of every child, and uh, you don't all of a sudden have this gap in generations.
1: Augustus's mother, Atia. Uh, dreamed during a visit to the Temple of Apollo that the god had visited his favor on her in the form of a snake. That's pretty kinky. Augustus was born... <laughs> it makes sense. The snake is... Uh... <laughs> Augustus was born nine months later. I don't know if she was a virgin at the time, but uh, clearly Augustus She wasn't was anymore after she met the snake. <laughs> <laughs> was the son of Apollo. Um, let me read to you this inscription, and uh, you tell me what you think. All right. This day has given the earth an entirely new aspect. The world would have gone to destruction had there not streamed forth from him who is now born a common blessing. Rightly does he judge who recognizes in this birthday the beginning of life. Now is that time ended when men pity themselves for being born. From no other day does the individual or the community receive such benefit as from this natal day, full of blessing to all. The providence which rules over all has filled this man with such gifts for the salvation of the world as designate him as savior for us and for the coming generations. Of wars he will make end and establish all things worthily. By his uh, appearing are the hopes of our forefathers fulfilled. Not only has he surpassed the good deeds of earlier times, but it is impossible that one greater than he can ever appear. Uh, The birthday of God has brought to the world glad tidings that are bound up in him. From his birthday, a new era begins. That wasn't about Jesus. That was about uh, Augustus.
0: I'm I'm pretty sure that was Jesus. Augustus <laughs> just stole it from him. I yeah. Probably crossed out Augustus's name
1: or, or Jesus's name and put Augustus on it later. <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. So so as far as the nativity is concerned, um, there's a wonderful Egyptian hymn. And I'll just read you part of it. He is born. He is born. Oh, come and adore him. Life-giving mothers, the mothers who bore him. Stars of the heaven, the daybreak adorning. Ancestors, ye of the star of the morning. Women and men, oh, come and adore him. Children, child who was born in the night. <laughs> uh, almost exactly like a, a just run-of-the-mill uh, Christian hymn, right?
0: Yeah, actually, I, I had a couple pop up in my head, and uh, I, I, again, even when the when the Egyptians sing it, I despise hymns. <laughs> I still despise them, even though I am fascinated with Egyptian culture, I despise hymns.
1: Uh, yeah, they're pretty boring. Um, Mithras was born in a cave. Now, uh, we have to backtrack to early stories about Jesus. Um, there's a Gnostic Evangelium of James um, that uh, details the story of Mary. Um, it's kind of like, you know, Jesus is his hero now, and you have uh, if you have a popular movie or tv show or comic book franchise you get spin offs, right
0: yeah <laughs> so there are all
1: yeah. these spin offs about the apostles the backstory and and the, the the mary and this one was particularly was about mary and she was in this uh temple uh, she was kept a virgin uh until she was found to be pregnant and the the temple um priests blamed it on joseph and at this point in, in church history they believe that um Mary was a virgin not only before Jesus was born but after she stayed virgin she didn't have sex for the rest of her life and so they have to explain where the rest of Jesus' brothers came from Uh, and so it was actually Joseph's by a prior marriage that was a solution they were just his stepbrothers Um,
0: so we've got ourselves a magical hymen here.
1: Well, yeah. Um, there's a great scene in, in this Evangelium where um, she gives birth to Jesus and it was just like this flash of light and a cloud emitted from her and coalesced into a baby. And the midwife who was attending her ran out and got another midwife and the midwife says, I am not going to believe this until I see it for myself. And she goes in there and does a midwife exam and finds her hymen is still intact.
0: <laughs> so, 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 wait, 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 wait. Mary farted and Jesus appeared? <laughs> Apparently was, so. Was she doing blue darts? That's uh, all I've got to ask.
1: I have no comment on that. <laughs> um, anyway, so it was, it was a. Uh, and she was in a cave at the time. Um, so it was an early myth about Jesus that he was born in a cave. Anyway, Mithras was born in a cave. He was born on December 25th and he was visited by three shepherds. Interestingly enough, Magi, that you know, the three Magi that brought. Frankincense yeah. and myrrh and blah blah blah. Magi are are east. They're from the east. They they are actually Persian followers of Mithras. So you can see these little components that are are still squeezed into and, and vestiges of, of old uh, pagan mythology. Yeah. The, the Magi bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, Empedocles uh, speaks of worshiping God with quote offerings of unmixed myrrh and frankincense, casting down also on the ground libations of gold and honey. Myrrh was used as sacred incense in the festival of Adonis, when I mean, we mentioned uh, Adonis, whose mother was the virgin named Myrrh. So again, you've got all these different uh, pagan mystery religion godmen kind of squeezed into the
0: same myth of Jesus. Yeah, and, and in the in the previous pagan religions, it makes sense there. It doesn't exactly make sense. In the Christianity sense of the word, I mean, right. what exactly are they going to do with myrrh when they hand it to Jesus? Right. You, you can see it. Um, you can see it going
1: one way, but you can't see it going the other. It doesn't make sense in Christianity until you find out the myth that it was derived from. Going on in Egypt, Isis, you know, the wife or consort of Osiris, was represented by the star Sirius, and that's at the foot of the constellation of Orion, which in, in Egypt was Osiris. The first appearance of Sirius announced the coming of the floodwaters of the Nile, which, you know, brought the grain that fed Egypt. So the appearance of Sirius in the east thus foretold the coming of the Lord Osiris, very very similar to that star story where the Magi are following it over to the east.
0: You know, it, it's kind of interesting to me because I remember as a child sitting there and having my father talk about how great and how wise God is that he would be able to have a supernova go off at the exact moment that Jesus, or excuse me, and have it go off and have light travel to us at the exact moment of Jesus's birth. The funny thing to me is every time I thought about that, even as a kid, is I would look up in the sky and the stars would move. So basically, do we have this supernova actually making its way around the Earth as quickly as possible, because otherwise that thing would just continue traveling. It stuns me. It stuns me that people
1: believe this crap. I am stunned. Uh, Even if it was a supernova, it's still in the east. How do they know where to stop?
0: (laughs) Well, you just keep walking until it goes out, I guess. (sighs) Unbelievable. Uh,
1: St. Epiphanius wrote that he and his followers celebrated the birthday of Christ on January 6th, and there was a big argument whether they should have the 25th of December or the 6th of January, both of which clearly are wrong because (coughs) Jesus was born uh, when shepherds are in this field, and (laughs) it's not going to happen in the middle of winter. Uh, But apparently, uh, anyway, they they were disputed, and the 25th won out. But interesting enough, December 25th is the birthday of Mithras. January 6th was celebrated in Egypt as the day of Osiris. Um, these are both godmen of different mystery religions, and, and it, it's funny to me that, that they're arguing over two wrong dates, both of which uh, are derived from other religions.
0: <laughs> and, and that in and of itself proves that they couldn't even extricate their own thoughts on this stuff. It all was just all these pagan religions around them, and they were just right. picking and choosing which ones.
1: Right. Um, probably December 25th one out because... Uh, it was uh, coincided with Saturnalia also, um, the, the sort of pre-Christmas Christmas festival. All right, moving along. Baptism. Um, Joseph Campbell wrote, uh, the, quote, The rite of baptism was an ancient rite coming down from the old Sumerian temple city Eridu of the water god Ea, uh god of the house of water. Does that sound familiar, Ea?
0: Oh, just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I still can't pronounce it.
1: (laughs) In Homeric hymns, there are examples of ritual purification by water. Pyramid texts in ancient Egypt show a ceremonial baptism of the pharaoh before the ceremony of his ritual birth as the embodiment of Osiris. Baptism tanks have been found at initiation halls and shrines and sometimes initiates bathed uh, in a nearby river uh, or the sea. So um, uh, this is uh, ancient, ancient stuff that that far predates Christianity.
0: Yeah, and again, I'm not surprised. and. I've We've talked about this in the past about how just fascinating it is that they would just blatantly steal this and then not only steal it but try to hide the fact that they stole it by going out and crushing all the other pagan religions. Right,
1: extremely ironic that they, they destroyed the very religions that gave them their most interesting doctrines. Continuing from Tertullian uh, In certain mysteries, it is by baptism that members are initiated, and they imagine that the result of this baptism is regeneration and the remission of the penalties of their sins. Interesting. In Romans, Paul uh, kind of describes what the symbolism is behind baptism. Uh, You know, entering the water represents death, immersion represents burial, and uh, emergence represents resurrection. Uh, In the mysteries, uh, it's also represented death to the old self and rebirth to the new as an initiative of the God. Early Christian representations of baptismal rites paralleled their pagan baptisms nearly exactly. These similarities were so disturbing uh, to Justin Martyr that he again claimed that it was you know evil demons that instigated the pagan rites as a mocking parody of,
0: of true Christian ones <laughs> <laughs> and yet again, he doesn't even bother to look at the other side. There is nothing but what is in front of him that That is fascinating to me yeah um, so we'll move from baptism to miracles now. Hold uh, on, you're forgetting one baptism. I remember you were talking to me about this about the pigs. I suppose we can do that now. Uh, At
1: the Eleusinian Mysteries, the initiates actually bathed in the sea with pigs. Uh, This ritual then took all of the evil out of them and put it onto the pigs, which were then sacrificed in a very specific fashion. They were chased over a chasm. Now compare that to Mark 5, where Jesus casts out uh, this legion of demons into a nearby group of pigs who then trample off
0: uh, into a chasm and die. Yeah, that sounds very familiar. I, th- I think somebody out there made a video to make fun of that.
1: <laughs> and again, it makes so much more sense <laughs> in the Illicinian mysteries than it does. You know, Jesus is a total dick. He's he's ruining
0: the
1: <laughs> I, I know, livelihood see, of this swineherd.
0: This this shepherd who his father has been a shepherd, so on and so forth, and he destroys this entire flock. Because the demons ask him to, that makes absolutely no sense, makes sense from an enlightened man, whereas if you look at these mysteries, it makes perfect sense as to why they 're doing it however i 'm wondering which one of them was uh, wrestling the pig into the water, but that 's just me <laughs> interestingly enough the um,
1: the mysteries were open uh, they 're very egalitarian uh, they 're open to women they 're open to slaves they 're open to poor people they 're open to rich people they 're open to everyone essentially. Um, practically speaking they were limited because you had to sacrifice a pig to get in there um, so there are very few slaves who could afford a pig uh, by virtue of them being slaves <laughs> <laughs> but in theory uh, it was you know it was open and everybody was accepted so it's very egalitarian and again that kind of um, goes right along into Christian theology about how he went to the poor and went to the sinners very egalitarian anyway okay so, miracles. Uh, the night of January 5th was when Dionysus was believed to have miraculously changed water into wine. Um, he had a, a marriage ceremony to his wife, uh, Ariadne, where he changed water into wine. And during the feast days of January 5th and 6th, they'd bring water into the, the temple of Dionysus. And there's a spring that goes through it. And for the next week, uh, it would miraculously change into wine. Fairly similar to Jesus' um, marriage at Cana, right? Yeah. It. Yeah, and and, and I, early Christian calendars put that marriage at Cana
0: on January 6th. <laughs> Interesting, no? Mm, well, it, it, it's fascinating that they... See, the thing I see in my head is early Christianity is putting it on January 6th, and then you have a later father or, of, of Christianity looking at that and going, ah, shit, we've got too much similarity with pagans, so let's change it. And so, I mean, it really makes me wonder how much they truly believed or how many circles they had to flip in this mental gymnastics to realize, oh, wait, that's wrong. It's got pagans in it. The pagans must have been influenced by demons. And it just... Somewhere along the line, you would think that somebody would put two and two in together and begin to have questions.
1: Well, I think it was so embarrassing to educated people that they had no choice but to destroy the pagan religions entirely. And it was pretty effective because how
0: much of this stuff did you know? I didn't know any of it. Yeah, yeah, very true. I mean, this is something you really have to search out. and I mean, even scholars nowadays... Have to run around bending over backwards to find it. I mean, look at the Gnostic Gospels of Jesus. Right. I mean, those. Thoroughly stamped out. Thoroughly stamped out. The only reason why we found them is because of a single priest who buried them.
1: Yeah, right. Um, uh, before Nag Hammadi, the only way we knew about Gnosticism was by a very biased source, the church fathers who were attacking it. All right, let's continue on miracles. Pythagoras often stilled the waves of rivers and seas uh, so that his disciples would more easily pass them. Sound familiar? Uh, oh, just a little. Others who, who could do the same were Pythagoras's disciple Empedocles, Epimenides, and Avaris. Empedocles was supposed to have resurrected a woman who had been dead for 30 days. Uh, <laughs> Lazarus was the, was the name, Lazarus? <laughs> Apollonius of Tyana healed the sick, predicted the future, exercised demons, raised the dead, and even made a post-death appearance to his disciples. And he was also arraigned by authorities, um, but his power was so
0: great that I think he was transported away. He wasn't crucified like Jesus. Yeah, I I think Apollonius had it right. He was the one that got away because nobody wants to look at that cross and think, eww, that looks like fun. Yeah. (laughs) Speaking in tongues, at Trophonius in Delos,
1: um, Delos of the Delian League of, of the Athenian Empire. Oh, I like that. Uh, Oracle priestesses seemed to speak to some who didn't understand them, but others heard them each in their own native tongue. Uh, Again, (laughs) predating uh, the Pentecost by five, six hundred years. Celsus even went so far as to point out that, quote, miracles and wonders have indeed occurred everywhere and in all times, end quote. And the Christians would say that the pagans' miracles were from Satan, (laughs) which is ridiculous because, again, even Jesus met that argument. And he said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So I don't know why they're making this post-Christianity. But Celsus replied, Quote, is it not a silly sort of argument to reckon by the same works that one man is a god while his rivals are mere sorcerers? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, see, and that makes perfect sense, because even if you have these Christian forefathers who are sitting there saying that those acts were of Satan, well, why is it God isn't pulling his own tricks? Why does God have to plagiarize off of what Satan has already done? Right,
1: exactly, exactly. What? Yeah, God's the one plagiarizing. All right, um, you remember the Jesus fish?
0: Oh, yes, I I do recall that Jesus fish. I make fun of it every time I drive by it. I
1: I love this one. Um, You know, I've heard Christian arguments that uh, the Jesus fish is um, derived from, you know, I think the Hebrew word for Jesus, Yeshua, is similar to a fish. uh, Some people tell me they have no idea where it comes from. Here's where it comes from. Um, the Pythagoreans, they uh, encoded it. And this is a very good example of exoteric mysteries and, and esoteric, so outer and inner mysteries. So the outer mystery is the fish, sign of a fish. Um, it is um, two circles, uh, symbolic of spirit and matter, I guess, that are bound together in the uh, sacred marriage. Um, and I'm reading from page 40 of the Jesus Mysteries. When the circumference of one touches the center of the other, they combine to produce the fish shape known as the vesica piscis. The ratio of height to length of the shape is 153 to 265. Now remember, 153 was a sacred number for some reason to the Pythagoreans. Um, the formula known to... So this, this formula, 153 to 265, this formula known to Archimedes in the 3rd century BCE as, quote, the measure of the fish. It is a powerful mathematical tool, being the nearest whole number approximation of the square root of 3 and the controlling ratio of the equilateral triangle. Now, you can see that he, he would draw this fish, and they, they'd show the fish to the outer mysteries, and they'd wonder, you know, wh- what does this mean, right? And you get into inner mysteries, and you see the whole thing. You see the two circles overlapping, and they talk about those ratios. And it's kind of like, you know, when I was in seventh grade, trying to remember kingdom phylum, class, order, family, genus, species, as, yeah. as kings play chess on fine ground sand. You know, that yeah. by itself doesn't mean anything, but you know that inner mystery... what it encodes for, you're off to the races. So Christians who who have that fish on their car are actually not fans of Jesus. They're fans of Pythagoras.
0: I got to tell you, the more I hear about Pythagoras, the more I want to follow his religion. I mean, they based everything off of mathematics. That is astonishing. Oh, yeah, he was the first one, I believe, the first one to actually apply
1: mathematics to practical uh, principles. There's a myth that he either... um, predicted an eclipse or I think he put out like an almanac and uh, predicted you know which was the best season to grow uh, grain and stuff like that Um, but his followers are vegetarians because he believed that in a doctrine of reincarnation so he didn't want to be eating human flesh in the guise of other things and his followers uh, for some reason
0: couldn't eat beans I'm not sure why I can tell you why but uh, it's something about a magical fruit See, that's very fascinating to me. I've always wondered about, uh, about the concept of reincarnation, because I've got to tell you, if I was ever pissed off at my family members and they died, I would be out there trying to eat everything I could find just to get at them. Well, I don't know where you know this cannibalism,
1: fear of cannibalism comes from, because they, they were eating Dionysus and, and Osiris for thousands of years before this. Anyway, Well, very true, but they were getting the power of the gods. Uh, that's true. You don't want the power of your relatives. You become stupider. Especially my relatives. Uh, (laughs) References to to the number 12, right? The 12 tribes of of Israel and uh, Jesus' 12 disciples. Those likely come from Jewish captivity in Babylon, which of course had the zodiac, which had 12 astrological signs. Um, The Pythagoreans figured out that um, this is amazing to me one central sphere would be completely surrounded by 12 other spheres of the exactly same dimensions as the first. So you couldn't squish any more spheres in there and be completely surrounded by it. Uh, And actually, if you squish the spheres in, you got another outer mystery, which was a dodecahedron, a 12-sided dice, basically. Um, And that would encode this idea that you could form 12 of them on the outside of the the, uh, first sphere. Mithras was often depicted at the center of a constantly turning circle surrounded by the 12 symbols of the zodiac. And in the initiation ceremony for Mithras... The uh, disciples were dressed up in the signs of the zodiac, and they surrounded the initiate who represented Mithras himself.
0: Wow! All I gotta say is, the more I hear about them uh, them trying out these these mathematics and figuring them out, the more fascinated I am by it. I mean, I gotta tell you, these guys were sitting around thinking about numbers so much, no wonders they were worshiping them. Oh, totally! And
1: I, it makes me wonder. Uh, you know, I'd love to sit at the feet of these Egyptians who figured this stuff out. Without any calculators, without you know, uh, just in their head is amazing to me. With, yeah. with 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 what kind of numbers? I mean, unbelievable.
0: Anyway, and people look on on the people of that day and age as simpler folk. These guys were intelligent to figure this oh, stuff yeah. out. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. They they
1: did not have anywhere near the tools that we had. The just man unjustly accused on page. Um, well, part of Euripides. Bacchae, which is, um, Bacchus is another name for Dionysus. Um, There's part of this play where the soldiers were impressed by Dionysus. So uh, here's a quote from Jesus, and I'll compare you to the quote from Dionysus. So Jesus, you would have no authority at all over me had it not been granted you from above. Dionysus, nothing can touch me that is not ordained. Uh, Jesus, they know not what they are doing. Dionysus, you know not what you are doing, nor what you are saying, nor who you are fairly similar. I'm sure it was diabolical mimicry that... Oh, of course. Or, uh, you know, just
0: little bits of truth.
1: Yeah. Uh, bread and wine, sacrament. We've gone over this a little bit before, but the idea of sharing in a god's power by eating that god is so ancient that it's found in the Egyptian Book of the Dead. They've got pictures of dead people uh, eating gods and, and thereby gaining their powers. So pagans had a sacrament bread and wine, just like the Christians, and uh, the uninitiated level charges of cannibalism at them uh, just like <laughs> the, the pagans did to the Christians
0: <laughs>
1: here's a mithraic inscription quote he who will not eat of my body and drink of my blood so that he will be made one with me and I with him the same shall not know salvation End quote compare that to the Gospel of John quote unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood you have not life in yourselves Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will live in me and I in him.
0: End quote. Wow. And see, once again, you look at Christianity, it doesn't make sense. Where does this cannibalism come from? And then you look at the pagan religions, and it makes perfect sense. Right. The, the, the cannibalism of Christianity
1: does not arise through the doctrines, naturally through the doctrines of Christianity itself, but it does through the doctrines of um, wine, for example, or uh, grain. I mean, it's totally natural. Um, Well, these were so obvious to Celsus, uh, he was disgusted by them. He he said, (laughs) quote, many of the ideas of the Christians have been expressed better and earlier by the Greeks behind these views in an ancient doctrine
0: that has existed from the beginning. Absolutely true. I think we need to have him on our show. I mean, that guy has already picked it out thousands Thousands of years ago. (laughs) Um,
1: Sextus and and Confucius. Sextus was a pagan. Um, He was a Pythagorean. Uh, Both had the golden rule before Jesus. Um, Sextus wrote such as you wish your neighbor to be with you, such also be to your neighbor hundreds of years before Christ <laughs> uh, in the sayings of Sextus Pythagorean, we also find quote wish that you may be able to benefit your enemies, anticipating Jesus hundreds of
0: years turn the other cheek
1: All right uh, Pythagoras uh, himself thought that even if abused, one should <laughs> not defend oneself, right so turn the other cheek. Let me read you um what Socrates had to say about that. I think this is in the uh, dialogue the Crito Socrates says then we should never do wrong Crito replies never and we should not even try to avenge a wrong if we are wronged ourselves as most would do on the premise that we should never do wrong so it seems so we should do no harm Crito or not I should say not Socrates well then is it just or unjust to repay injury with injury unjust I would think Socrates says so we should never take revenge and never hurt anyone even if we have been hurt Uh, again anticipating Turn the other cheek. Um, Every one of these things uh, has been anticipated.
0: Now, is that anticipation or is that plagiarism? Right.
1: Yeah. Pre-plagiarism. Yeah, Um, pre-plagiarism. Celsus quotes Plato as saying, it is impossible for an exceptionally good man to be exceptionally rich.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I wonder where I've heard that before.
1: Plato, in the um, uh, dialogue, the Phaedo, anticipates the idea of hell. Remember, there's no hell in, in the Old Testament. So Plato said, quotes, uh, describes this idea as, quote, a huge lake blazing with much fire and boiling with water and mud. Um, very similar to the Christian hell and, and, and almost exactly the same as the uh, hell as described in the apocalypse of Peter. So finally, we, we, well, we talk about monotheism in the Trinity. In about 1400 BCE, Akhenaten of Egypt, right, one God yeah. is the Aten, the sun disk God. And he, he wrote beautiful poetry and beautiful hymns that are quite similar to the monotheistic, you know, that, that this sun disk shines on the good and the evil alike, right? Very similar to, uh, the, the psalm that says, um, God, uh, reigns on, uh, good and bad alike. Uh, in 500 BCE, Xenophanes wrote, there is one God always still and at rest who moves things with the thoughts of his mind. And this brings up that educated pagans often allow that there was one overarching god, this huge abstract idea uh, that encompassed all the rest. And and those other gods,
0: the specific gods, were just aspects. Very sophisticated uh, view. You know, I find it very interesting that you bring up Xenophanes, because was he not the one who also said that if horses had gods, they would look like horses? Yeah, (laughs) he's...
1: one of the first atheists that we know of, um, he was describing, you know, the Ethiopians or the Nubians uh, have their gods and and they're black-skinned, and uh, uh, everyone seems to believe in gods that that look exactly like them, and so he was extrapolating to horses. If we could see the dreams of horses, their gods would look like horses.
0: (laughs) Genius. Genius. and yet again, it's just observation. He was looking around him and went, oh, wait, this makes sense. Absolutely. Um, you just sit down and think for a while.
1: Um, even Justin Martyr allowed that Pythagoras taught that there was one God, right? 600 years before Christ. Um, <laughs> Celsus mocks the personal God of the Christians. This is uh, hilarious. Let me read this to you. I love Celsus. He says, the Christians say that God has hands, a mouth, and a voice. They're always proclaiming, that, quote, God said this or God spoke. The heavens declare the work of his hands, they say. I can only comment that such a God is no God at all. For God has neither hands, mouth, nor voice, nor any characteristics of which we know. Their absurd doctrines even contain reference to God walking about in the garden he created for man. And they speak of him being angry, jealous, moved to repentance, sorry, sleepy. In short, as being in every respect more a man than a God. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and this guy's a pagan. He's a polytheist. But, but he had this sophisticated idea that God was this abstract concept that, that was only
0: um, revealed, I guess, in different aspects of the one true God. So it's, um, and, me, he, and he, much like Xenophanes, looked around and said, you guys are putting your own characteristics into this God.
1: Right, absolutely. It's a very, very primitive idea of a God, and certainly not worthy of a one true God or the only God of the universe. Uh, the idea of the Trinity... Uh, Aristotle quotes uh, Pythagoras, um, a doctrine that we no longer have except through Aristotle. Uh, he quotes Pythagoras as saying, "The whole and everything in it is comprehended by the number three, for end, middle, and beginning have the number of the whole. That is the Trinity."
0: Hmm.
1: In Egypt, they they all had Trinity. Every one of their you know God, they all came in threes. That's why. Um, well, three was
0: a sacred number.
1: Yeah, was so popular in Egypt. There are three, or uh, three are all the gods. Amon, Ra, and Ptah. There are none like them. Hidden in his name is is Amon. He is Ra. His body is Ptah. He is manifested in Amon, with Ra and Ptah, the three united. Again, there's nothing about Christianity, really, that says that uh, there needs to be a trinity. Um, That that actually is found nowhere in the Bible. Um, The closest thing you get, I believe, is in John which has been shown to be a later insertion um, by a different uh, monk who probably was having an argument with a bunch of other uh, people he believed were heretics and inserted that in,
0: uh, and it's become that way ever since. But the doctrine really is never mentioned in the Bible. And once again, it makes more sense in the pagan side than it does the Christian side because sure. where did this this come from I mean sure. now we know it's it's fascinating
1: you have the beginning the middle and the end I mean it, it makes sense it's a sacred number to these guys um so that that is the the most well-documented pagan precursors of the New Testament uh, you know there's obviously precedent for this and that was the podcast we did before the, the Hebrews would um, swipe stuff that was really interesting, and I think this was a common practice. Uh, they'd find these interesting doctrines, they'd incorporate them into their own religion, and uh, move forward with that. The only problem with it is you cannot accept that this stuff is literally true, uh, or else you'd have to <laughs> accept the uh, Egyptian religion. Because or that the Greeks, who built off the Egyptians. To, uh, yeah, precursor to all this stuff. Anyway, and, then, and once again, that does make it more ironic that you know, it's kind of like the myth of Zeus and the Titans. Um, Zeus was the son of the Titans, and he uh, was given birth, and he ended up slaying the, his own parents. <laughs> <laughs> and So that myth was reenacted by the Christian religion. Very ironic.
0: Uh, good for Zeus is all I've got to say. Uh, although he was, you know, influenced by Satan to, you know, do this beforehand. but Of course. Once again, God is plagiarizing. We've already talked about that where evolution is concerned, and now we've talked about it where his actual word is concerned.
1: And that'll just about wrap us up. We got uh, on the horizon for the next week, we got some guests coming up.
0: Yes, we do. We have Adele Sackler and Peter Rollins. Excuse me, it took me a second. We will. (laughs) We'll see you next week. All right, bye.